Blog Talk Radio. Right into this world, all alone. God takes your soul, you're on your own. A crow flies Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a live edition of Weigh In Sports Talk. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin, and a special co-host tonight with me. He's no stranger to this program, Mr. Sonny Clark, the couch potato himself. How are you, sir? I'm getting there, getting there here on a uh, fine Wednesday night. I got to jump in, jump out for a little bit uh, after about 20 minutes, but I'll be back. But I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's great to have you on the show and and a lot's been going on in this weekend in the NBA we're gonna I want to get your take on the LeBron James opting out which is not a bad move for him but Sonny I've been saying it for months and people call me crazy I thought he was gonna leave Miami and go back to Cleveland where where he originally left made that big production what are your thoughts on LeBron James doing what he's doing I know it's smart but do you think he's going to stay in Miami or do you think Dwayne Wade's going to take a pay cut to allow this to happen I don't think Dwayne Wade is going to take a pay cut for anything and the main reason behind that comes from that is real simple he's got money regardless he's not, he doesn't need to take one let's be honest i mean and he's getting to the point where he's a little bit older in his career right now um so he's going to try to get all the money he could possibly get for being a worn down and really a, you know a great number 3 you know, let's just be honest. I mean, he just dropped down from number two to number three. Hell, even Chris Bosh might even be better than him right now. Uh, so, but it, him taking a pay cut is not going to happen. That's his town. It's always been his town, and that's the problem with LeBron. He wasn't able to get it in Cleveland, where Cleveland was his town. Then he had to go someplace else where it was someone else's town where he had to try to take over. And um, it, it may have worked, obviously, with two championships some four um, final appearances. The, however, in that Miami's still not his town, and that's always going to be the problem. And, and you said it perfect, and that's what I've been thinking all along, Sonny. Dwayne Wade. I don't think the rings are important to him anymore. He has three right now. He's at the end of his career. He needs that cash. He needs the quan. He, he needs to go out making as much money as possible. And, and do you agree that it's just not a top priority for him as winning championships anymore? I think you might have hit it on the head. After that, it would have been nice to get the fourth one. But going into that playoff series, nobody on the East was even worth watching. I'm sorry. I mean, hell, even the Heat, Heat weren't there. I mean, no one was putting it up against the Heat. The, the whole East was, I mean, it was hit and miss, whether it be the Indiana Pacers over there doing what they always do, whether the Knicks were going to play well. You just never knew what you were going to get out of any team over there in the East, except for the Heat. The Heat didn't have to play hard. They didn't. And they uh, rested Dwayne Wade, and guess what? Didn't help him. Um, and he's still over the hill, and he's still going to have problems, and they're still going to have to pay the the high salary for him. And here's another thing. You know, Pat Riley jumped on him and says, hey, you can't run out the door at the first opportunity that you get. Um, and that's what LeBron has always been. You, you think about what he should – would have he been better to see in Cleveland? Probably not, um, because Cleveland had, didn't – work hard enough to uh, bring people to him. And 
that's just going to be something that you can look for LeBron here in the rest of his career. It's not going to be a uh, basketball team that's going to be his. He's going to be known as the number one player on a, a team that is someone else's. Because really, if you look at the teams that are interested in LeBron James, they already got their guy, really, if you think about it. They're already paying, paying max salary for somebody. Well, you know, I look at LeBron James, and I just don't think – I don't think, Sonny, he wants to play with Dwayne Wade. If you look at it, LeBron James is a smart basketball player, best in the world. There's nobody close. And looking at Dwayne nope. Wade, do you think he's going to put his career on the line to just stay with Dwayne Wade, really? I mean, when he can go to Cleveland – he can go to Dallas. He can go to Houston. I mean, he can name the team he wants to go to almost and win championships. But Cleveland, do you think they've done enough, Sonny? If, just think if, if Cleveland's out there, he's going to Cleveland. Have they done enough to entice him to come back? What about this new coach they hired? Well, the new coach is Jack, okay? It means nothing, okay? Look what they did in Miami with Spolstra. Nobody, you know, really in reality. They need talent. Okay, talent, if they are not, and never mind that, look what that team has been since he left. Okay, they've been a, they've been almost a joke of the NBA. Um, and, you know, all the talk, you know, we're going to be fine without LeBron and everything else. Well, the simple fact of the matter is they're not anything without LeBron James except one of the bottom feeders in the NBA. And we will – I'll put this out there. I'm, I, we will not see LeBron James in Cleveland. Why? Why does he need to go there? There won't be enough money to get him back there. They could offer out the biggest contract, and LeBron James won't take it. Exactly. And I think LeBron's wanting to go somewhere, Sonny, in a big market like the Knicks. or, or I mean, I know Houston's not huge or anything, but it has some sizzle to it. I don't, I don't even think Miami has sizzle to it anymore. I, I just – I think people are tired of Miami. I think Miami got caught with a big contract with Wade. I think Bosch is going to leave. I think LeBron's going to leave, and Wade's going to be stuck there as a bottom feeder, like you said. But do you think LeBron's looking at New York and being serious with New York? Could you see him in a New York Nick uniform? I'll tell you the best team for him to go is the Houston Rockets. There's a couple reasons why. I mean, there's just a couple reasons. Number one, you got one of the best centers to play the game, Okay. Then you, you say what you want. Harden, James Harden is one bad mf'er. I'm telling you right now. Um, the <laughs> fact that look at look at Oklahoma City since he's left, they haven't been squat. Um, now you've got the you, you got you go to another big three in reality. If you had the Houston, not only that, there's no state income tax to pay here. Exactly. So he's going to keep more of his money. Um, so when I look at LeBron James, you know, if, if he goes to a different market, um, he's got to take a look at the fact that he's going to lose a lot of money by not going uh, over to a Texas team. I, the, the Mavericks aren't going to get him. There, there's not enough here in Dallas to get. Them unless they somehow can figure out a way to get love uh, away from Minnesota and get him there. Um, that's the only thing. The big three would be Houston. That would be really good. And uh, say what you want, but I'll tell you right now, I don't think the Spurs wouldn't mind having them either. Okay, <laughs> so there are really two teams that I mean, could you imagine the Spurs with LeBron no. James and they can maybe t- uh, no, you, right now you say no, because he is that guy that has to be the man. Could you imagine if this guy becomes a team player? 
I mean, I mean, then how much greater will he be? I, 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 me personally, I go Houston, I go Spurs, I stay away from the Knicks because you know that whole situation with Stoudemire and then um, oh, who's the head case that's there also? Uh, the guard, I forget his name. Um, but he's going to probably test. He's testing the uh, free agency market. Carmelo Anthony, um, he, he's yeah. going to be gone too. So you know, I, and the only way Carmelo stays is if LeBron gets there, and then you're going to have two egos up at the top of it, and it's no win situation for him. Well, I want to ask you this, Sonny, and I, you know, LeBron James, he's made it to four finals in a row, and he won two of them. You know, he made it to the finals with Cleveland, so he's played for five championships. But how big of a knock is it? on LeBron that he plays in the Eastern Conference and not the West? Because when you look at it, it's all about the Western Conference and basketball. Do you think he wants that challenge? Do you think he's going to step up to the plate for that challenge to go out West and say if he wins two or three championships at Houston, how much more respect are you going to give him? He won two or three in the West and he won two in the East. At least I would give him that. The East is a joke. You make it to the finals in the East, it's nothing, son. Well, if you remember, not more than two or three years and four and five years ago, the East it was dominant. They were dominant. I don't know what happened to these. It's like someone shot that whole East in the ass, and they just they have slowed down, a slow fizzle over the last four years in the East. They used to be the dominating um, conference. Now it has. It's shifted over to the West. Um, even the only team that was really a threat over in the West in reality were two, um, and that was the L.A. Uh, the 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 Lakers and Oklahoma City. There, if you want to count the Spurs at that point, that's when they started getting it. Kind of shifted when the Spurs started winning championships and stuff like that. Uh, but before that, it used to be the East altogether. All and if LeBron James is smart, um, I stay in the East if he wants to reach the finals. Because if he goes to Houston, you don't know if Oklahoma City will pick it up. You don't know if the Lakers are going to be good. Then you got the Spurs. Um, you know, I, I think he wants to stay away from the West. I, you know, there's too much competition for him. And too many other people to talk about more so than LeBron James over in the West. Evan, Trey Patterson's on the line with us, Sonny. Trey, LeBron James, first of all, welcome to the show. Um, tell us what you think about LeBron James. Where is he going to end up? Where is the best fit for LeBron? Well, Trevor, I think the best fit, um, honestly, would be out West by because the talent is so much different there. Um, he would have teams that he could easily insert himself in. But whether or not he takes the opportunity to do that uh, and goes to, like you guys have been talking about, to a Houston where he could be with uh, technically the number one center and the number one two guard, uh, I I don't know that he will do that because of all the reasons you guys are talking about. I foresee him staying in the East somewhere now, the move today, I don't know if you mentioned it, with the Mavericks trade, uh, Mark Cuban is kind of on record saying that one of the reasons he made and brought in Tyson Chandler was to hopefully court Carmelo Anthony and or LeBron James. So, I mean, who knows? I, I don't see it happening, but, I mean, we'll see. Uh, who was that again? Two years removed from him moving, moving Chandler in the first place. I mean, they might have won that that second championship, you know, a year before. Two years removed, and you know, and he went for the money. Now he's coming back for the money, um, and I hope it's not to just for me, 
Sonny Clark because I'm stuck with the Dallas Mavericks if I'm going to watch local here. Um, I don't want to see Carmelo Anthony. If it's anything, I hope it's LeBron, but LeBron ain't going to come here. Okay, this is too much, this is too much cowtown. I, I don't see him in Houston. I don't see him in, you know, in San Antonio, and I don't see him in Dallas. It's too much cowtown. There's not enough excitement for a LeBron James who is the best player in the NBA. He needs a town, and a town really in reality. There's only two towns when you talk NBA, and that's New York and that's LA. And whether it's one or two teams over in LA, could you imagine if he went to the Clips? I doubt it. He would go. Oh, but geez, that would that be a great, you know, you know, week, you know, weekend, week out thing, and you know, a great fourteen games in the season to watch right there at Staples. You got, you know, LeBron coming, you know, at home and away to LA. Well, he came out today. LeBron did. He didn't have the Clippers on that tray. He didn't have the Clippers on his list. But I don't think he goes to Chicago because that's Michael Jordan's team. You know, even though he's not playing Trey, I don't think he would go back to go to Chicago. But is he is he afraid maybe to go to New York? Because if you think about the East, would would New York be the perfect place for him? I mean, the the number one media market out there. I mean, you got the money, you have the endorsements, you could sell a lot of jerseys in New York, Trey. Well, you know, New York has no pieces is the problem. I mean, Melo opted out. I mean, who else is left on that roster? They just they just traded Carmel, uh, Tyson Chandler and Raymond Felton. They're really in full-scale rebuild mode. Uh, and and they'd ha- I don't know what else I mean they could do other than bring Carmelo back, but even then, are they even the favorite in the East with Carmelo and LeBron James? With I mean, really no defense on that team and no young players around them and no – and it'd have, to, it'd have to be such a, a huge rebuild. And now I know that's on his list because of the market. But, Tarvin, I just I have a tough time thinking that New York can pull everything together. And I know Brooklyn is on that list, too, and they have some veterans that might work with KG and Pierce. But, you know, I, I just – I think we're going to be um, – I mean, you kind of called it that he would you know, opt out of his deal in Miami, Tarvin, but I think he might end up going back when he sees what's out there because I – you know, he, you're right. He's not going to go to Chicago, and he's not going to walk into the the player side of the the entrance and see the statue of Michael Jordan every day. I just don't see that happening. Well, Sonny, I, I mean, Trey said it perfect when he when he when he was talking about even if he went to New York and they brought Melo back, are they really better off than Bosh, Wade, and LeBron? They're not. I mean, I don't see him going to New York either. Do you? No, I I don't think New. You know. I don't think it will be because they're they're gonna if they're gonna depend. Not only that, they got a really bad salary situation with Amari Sotomayor. I mean, it's really a horrible situation when you look at the when you look at the salary this guy's making. It's a great big joke. And never mind that guy was never going to be healthy. So what LeBron's going to be looking for is probably, and this is just my opinion, he's going to look for dependable players who can be there. And when you look at the New York Knicks, they they're an injury waiting to happen. Um, and then he's going to end up doing what he's been doing when he was in Cleveland, and even to a certain extent to Miami, carrying the team on. On his shoulders. Now, should he do that because he's the best player in the world? Yes. However, he don't want to do it night in, night out, and that's going to be. I think that's going to be the situation when you look at LeBron, it, because he cannot be playing forty-seven, forty-eight minutes every single night, and it's going to wear on him. And before you know it, he's going to be a Kobe Bryant and almost out of legs. Well, Sonny, you look at the first pick in the draft tomorrow night coming up. 
the Cleveland Cavaliers. How much of this pick is going to be to, to possibly entice LeBron James? I mean, I, I think they're going to have to to really believe that be. there's a good chance a good chance for him to come if they do what they're going to do. How big does it impact their decision? I, it, it is. If if they're going to get him, which I don't think they are, I think he goes back to Cleveland as soon as hell freezes over. But if he goes back there, they better they they better take the plunge. They better take you know they might they better get on the phone with him saying, okay, yo, LeBron, here, hey, we want to bring you back, and we got this first pick. What do you think? And he becomes the general manager, okay? And no, that's what happens in Cleveland. Because you don't have anything in Cleveland. So not only do you get a player in LeBron James, you get a, a general manager or an advisor, at least on who to bring there. Um, but they're not going to do that because, you know, let, let's just put it like it is. You know, those egos that are in control over there, whether it's the owner or the general manager, they're, they're not going to bow to LeBron James even though how close they are how much they know important that pick is going to be. They're going to do it without his help. Well, Trey, I'll, I'll ask you what I asked Sonny. How much does this, this pick tomorrow night, is, is it going to, are they going to do it to entice LeBron James? And if so, are they going to have to know for sure he will come if they make a certain pick? I, I think they're going to make the best pick for the team possible. Now, Here's the thing about LeBron and Cleveland. You and I have speculated about this and said, hey, you know, this is a really good young team. Imagine with him on it, they become the favorites of the East. But, I mean, remember this. When they they brought LeBron back, they basically uh, begged of him and put him on, well, hey, you know, when we're going to do this thing for Olgoskis. We have to have you here. The owner tried to talk to LeBron James during that whole time, and LeBron James wouldn't even talk to the owner because of that whole letter debacle after the decision. So, Yep. There's still some huge rifts between the ownership of the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James' sort of hurt feelings after you know he did the decision which hurt Cleveland, and then Cleveland's owner goes on and rants about LeBron. And they've never repaired that. And so I just think that to Cleveland would have to be so overwhelming, even if it is the best possible maybe long-term decision for LeBron, especially when Sonny pointed out, LeBron looked at what the Spurs did and saw how Duncan's 38 years old and how he's basically dominating still. And you have Kobe, who is coming off two surgeries. Uh, there is something to be said there that what how Tim Duncan's managed his career uh, has equated to a far more successful, um, you know, historical look at what we'll, we'll look at you know 10 years from now what Tim Duncan's done in the NBA and what Kobe Bryant's done, and maybe that that has an impact on LeBron. Well, Sonny, I'll ask you. You look at the draft tomorrow night. Who, if you're Cleveland out there, who who are you going to take with this pick? I mean, we have Andrew Wiggins, and people are projecting him to go number one. We have what is it, Joel Embiid from Kansas? He's injury. He got injured, so he's dropped down to four. Who do you take with that first pick if you're if you're Cleveland? I you know you I think you got to go if you're going to compliment. LeBron James, you better go get you better go get your your guard. You better go. Hey, we talked about it over on Sports Talk with the guys. You don't have a team unless you got a guard. You need good guard play. 
They need to get someone who can dish the ball. And whoever that is within the top, of, you know, as far as the NBA draft is concerned, you know, I don't know how high that's going to end up happening because when you take a look at the guard position, you, you, you've got guys who are, you know, considered number one, number two, and stuff like that. You're, you're not seeing too many, too many um, guards taking that step forward. I think that's what they need to do. The only point guard that I think is going to be sitting out there would be Peyton, uh, you know, as far as, you know, I think he's out of Louisiana Lafayette, I guess. I've been hearing a lot of good things about him. And even uh, maybe uh, Exum, I think is the name, is another one that I think he is actually coming out of Australia. A really quick dude. Um, but they need they need point guard play. And But I have a feeling when, you, when you're looking at Cleveland, they're going to probably look at size. They're probably going to say, hey, um, you know, whether it's Imblet, I guess he's out of Kansas. He's a seven footer. They get the big guy in there. I think that I think they actually either have to go center or guard. So that's the way I kind of look at it. I don't know about you, and I, and I got like I said, I got to jump off, but I'll be back on whatever topic you'll be on. Okay. All right. Thanks, Sonny. And Trey, I'm going to go to you on this one. Uh, well, I guess I have to go to you, Sonny. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you soon in a few minutes. But, Trey, we have Julius Randle uh, at Kentucky projected at number eight, a power forward. I want your opinion how he would look in a Cleveland Cavalier uniform. And and you look at a point guard. I know they probably don't need it, but Marcus Smart from Oklahoma State, Trey, give me what you think about Smart and what you think about Randle in this draft. I think those two, when I look at the first round, those two could stand out the most and be the biggest impact players. Well, I, Randall, Randall, I'm not so sure about in the NBA. The foot injury, which we or ankle injury, the same with Embed. I mean, if you look at the guys historically who've had this kind of injury, there's been a mixed bag of how they've recovered. Uh, if you're talking about Cleveland, I think there are really two options. And I kind of disagree with Sonny about needing a guard. If you don't forget, they have Kyrie Irving there, um, who's pretty yeah. darn good. And, and so uh, I think he's amazing. For Cleveland. Yeah, you have, you have Andrew Wiggins, who I think is the clear number one. I thought that before the whole Embed talk. Um, and I just couldn't believe people would take him over uh, over Andrew Wiggins, who I think is a phenomenal talent. Uh, and, but if you think that you can get LeBron, and you think that maybe Wiggins and him don't gel because of the positions and the size on the court, I think the next, the only logical decision if you're, uh, excuse me, if you're uh, Cleveland, is you take uh, Jabari Parker. And if you take Jabari Parker, yeah. yeah, I think Jabari Parker Trey is is a good one from Duke. A big guy. He, I mean, he he can do it all. He can shoot. He can rebound. He can score. He can do it all. I think Parker is projected at number two right now. But but don't be surprised if if LeBron is going to Cleveland, if you could put Parker up in there at Duke. I mean, this guy's proved it on the court. I mean, you play at Duke for as long as he did, as good as he is, Trey. Um, I had to bring Trey off just for a second. Trey, I'm gonna bring you back and see if you're good to talk now. Go ahead and finish your sentence. Yeah, no, I was just saying I agree with you. I think if it is LeBron, if they have some sort of conversation with him and actually get him to talk to ownership, I think Parker is the fit there. If you look at that roster of what they need and what would gel with, with LeBron, it would be Parker over Wiggins. And that's hard to say because I think Wiggins is going to be amazing in the NBA. I really do. I've been high on him since high school. But I really do think that Parker is a better fit if you have LeBron and Tristan Thompson and Kyrie Irving and let's just not wow. let's not forget the number one pick they took last year if that kid ever works out. So I think that's the best fit for the roster, but I think Wiggins is probably the better overall player. 
Are you scared to draft a guy from Australia, Croatia, when you have all these studs that played major college basketball out there? I'm, I'm still wondering why you, you take these guys from other countries this high in the draft, two projected in the top ten, Trey. Well, you know, the only one of recent memory who, I, I mean, obviously there's been some big ones that have been successful, like Yao Ming, who, is, who would still be dominating if he was healthy. Uh, it, really, the last guard-type phenom who we saw was Ricky Rubio, who was drafted in. He was, what, 17, 18. But it took him, I think, three or four years. And if you look at his career now, he's actually a very good point guard. Uh, but he has his, you know, flashes of brilliance, and he still has columns. Uh, Dante Exum, I think is the kid's name in Australia, I, to me reminds me kind of of that raw talent that we saw Rubio at. So I think if you take him, Tarvin, you're almost sort of guaranteeing uh, a long-term project with him. And, and, of course, I agree with you that these guys aren't any impact players. They are more work. Uh, and so for the Minnesota Timberwolves, Rubio might be working out, but t- just as soon as he starts working out, you know, they have to lose, you know, possibly lose Kevin Love. So, I mean, Rubio can't control the team by himself. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I'm going to take the, the proven pro- project. I would take even Marcus Smart over this kid out of Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would too, Trey. And there's one other kid I like a lot, and it's um, Gary Harris out of Michigan State. Trey, I mean, you played with Izzo. I mean, you look at that Michigan State team last year, how good it was. Gary Harris could be uh, one of the steals in this draft at 10. I mean, I know you're a Michigan State Spartans fan. What do you think about Gary Harris? I think Harris is going to be a really decent two-guard. I mean, I don't see him as an all-star but I do see him as a guy who for maybe eight years is going to be very productive in the NBA. I think he can be a very solid, probably even a solid six player right off the bat. I really think he can be an impact player off the bench almost immediately and even working his way into a number two starting uh, starting role. Uh, he, I think he's that good. Uh, and for the NBA, he's about drafting at the 10th spot, Tarvin. If you can guarantee a guy who's going to have a 10-year a career, uh, I think Gary Harris is that kind of guy. That's a pretty good steal that, that late. Yeah, definitely, and hey, this this could be a record. How long we've talked NBA on this show? So if you're out there and you love football, we're almost there. But Trey, final prediction right now: if you had a gun to your head, where's LeBron going to end up? You know, I think I think my biggest prediction is back in Miami. Uh, I think you know, no income tax. Um, I think the fact that Pat Riley will promise him the world of rebuilding. I think Dwayne Wade would take less money. Uh, it's going to take a lot, but I see them back there. I think the full-court press you're going to see is from teams that we probably don't think are going to have much of a shot. I think, like, Dallas is going to make a huge run. I see Houston making a run. Um, I think Brooklyn is going to make a run. You know, Chicago might make a run. But I think Chicago is probably locked in on, um, on Mello. But that's my prediction, Tarvin. I think he stays in Miami. Well, how bad does this hurt LeBron's reputation if he leaves again? and go somewhere else. I mean, this is his third team. You don't see many NBA superstars early in their career move this much. So if this is his third move, Trey, how does that look about LeBron James? Does it say he runs when things get tough, when it gets tough, or what does it say about it? Well, you know, nowadays, you know, it is rarer for a guy to stay locked into a team. I mean, all the big stars, I mean, look at, you know, Pierce, who I, I couldn't imagine – and not a non-Celtic uniform, and now he's with Brooklyn. I mean, Kevin Garnett's with his third team. I mean, 
maybe that is the way of the world in the NBA that you know superstars don't stay where, where you know where they're going to be. I mean, Kobe seems to be one of the last ones. I mean, Pat Tarvin, how many teams did Shaquille O'Neal play on? I, I lost count. So twelve. I, mean, I don't think this is anything Tarvin because there's a lot of guys before that. But I mean. We already know that this isn't the kind of Michael or um, heck, even Michael Jordan play for the Wizards. Uh, but you know, I mean, this isn't that kind of long-term disarrangement uh, anymore. The NBA is far more fluid. Well, that wraps up our NBA talk, Trey. I'm going to say Cleveland just to go out there a wild card. I'm just going to say if he doesn't, if he leaves Miami, it's going to be Cleveland. I'm just going to. Just say go back home. It'll be a huge story. And how much would the media have to feed on if he goes back to Cleveland? They're going to bring up all the bad things that was said and blah blah blah. But we'll see what happens. Trey says Miami. I say Cleveland. And I'm a shot. I'm a gambler right here. But I've always said it. So I'm going to stick with it. Six four six seven one six five five six four. You are listening to Weigh In Sports Talk live on BlogTalkRadio.com. Our uh, MTR radio will be Sunday night, Trey. I couldn't get the equipment in time to to go live tonight, so we want to test it and make sure everything's right with it before we go live on the air with it. But the College World Series is going on right now. Virginia, big powerhouse out of the ACC. Vanderbilt, to me, not a big powerhouse. They're out of the SEC playing for game three tonight, the rubber match. What do you think, Trey? Who's going to win tonight, Vanderbilt or Virginia? I think Vanderbilt's up one to nothing, second or third inning right now. Yeah, I just think Virginia's got the bats, I and mean, they've been ranked number one. I mean, I'd be going with a favorite. I know Vandy has way more momentum, I feel. Um, but at some point, I mean, Virginia's just got so many guys in that roster who are, you know, MLB quality players drafted. Uh, I'm going to go with Virginia, but I'll tell you. Vandy's so hot right now in Tarvin, and I know that's who you went with going into this series. And it wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, if they won tonight, too, because, I mean, they looked pretty darn good. You know me. I love watching the Call of the World Series, and I've been very impressed with this Vandy team. Yeah, the, the, I mean, it's all about – you think about all the sports, Trey, when you have a playoffs and, and things like that. The team, it doesn't necessarily the, – the best team's not in this World Series. And that's the thing you got to love about, like, tournament play. The pool play and the tournament play, Trey, is the hottest team. You have to be good. You have to be a good team, but the hottest team wins. And I think that's why the College World Series is so exciting. I mean, you have so many good teams coming together. Vanderbilt's the hottest team right now. I would agree with you. But I did think if Vanderbilt was going to win this World Series, they were going to have to win the first two. I did not like it when they lost last night. I favored Virginia tonight, but so far it's early. We saw Vanderbilt score, what, nine runs early in the in one inning in game one and almost lost the game. So in college, you can't tell who's going to win until the very end, Trey. That's 100% correct. I mean, Vandy actually took leads in both the first two games, and the first one was just so insurmountable, but it still almost, almost got surmounted. Uh, but like even, even last night, I mean, Vandy took that early lead, and it was later on where Virginia came back, and that's, you know, Virginia's been doing that a lot this year, and, you know, I, I saw them do it against Florida State. So, you know, they're one of those teams that, that don't seem to panic when they're down. And uh, so we'll see. I think this is going to be one of those games you're going to want to watch the ninth inning. Yeah, I'm just going to wait till then because it's it's very stressful trying to watch a College World Series game. Do you, do you like the aluminum bats, Trey? Do you think they need to go down to wood? Because these guys hit the ball hard. I actually do think the big-time programs, I'd like to see them go to wood. I think it would help prepare a lot of hitters uh, for, for the MLB game because it is an adjustment. You talk to a lot of hitters uh, who leave college, and there is some 
reason why that you know a, a phenom pitcher in college who's very polished can make it to the big leagues within a year. You know that that's not unheard of, but it's pretty unheard of, heard of to see a baseball hitter um, jump even polished. You know, great Buster Posey type. Uh, you know, you saw how fast he went from Florida State College World Series player to you know you know crushing it as a San Francisco Giant. But even him, Tarvin, and as polished as he was, took time, and a lot of it is that just adjustment of not only the game, but even the bat. Very good point. I mean, it's kind of like, to me, a kicker in college football when they were kicking on tees, Trey. Some of the, a lot of the best kickers in college, they could not kick on the ground, off the ground. You saw some great college kickers couldn't make it in the NFL because of that reason. The reason I think it's the same thing with the bat. But let's move on to Major League Baseball just for a second. Tim come today, Trey, no-hit the San Diego Padres. This guy has two no-hitters, and they're both against San Diego. What, what does that say about Tim Lincecum, and what does it say about San Diego, Trey? <laughs> well, Lincecum, we know, has been such a, a streaky pitcher as they come. I mean, the guy can be completely lights out, and then he can also be, like, completely, you know, out of the first inning uh, because he got rocked. Uh, and he's been, you know, he got even demoted to relief, I think, last year. Uh, so he's been a guy who with a ton of talent. I'm glad to see he's back. I, mean, I like seeing him starting pitching, even though I'm not a Giants fan. I like seeing him take the bump every five days. But it's interesting. You ask what it says about San Diego. They're hitting, I think, 213 this year, Tarvin, as a team. And i got to tell you, I mean, it, it, it almost takes um, talent to be so bad in the Major League Baseball. To hit 213 as a team in the professional, you know, the professional leagues, man, I mean, I, if, they, if they weren't required to have an all-star, I really think um, there's no way they would. I mean, I think they're going to struggle to even have the mandatory one. Yeah, I mean, that's that's almost Atlanta Braves bad, it seems like. That's how bad the Braves hitting is. But, man, you get no hit by a guy that, I mean, that's bad. I mean, there's a year apart, it really. It was July last year, but last year he threw 140-something pitches to get that no-hitter. I can't remember the count today, but I'm glad to see Lentz come back. He he is hit or miss, you're right. He's up and down. Dusty, he was in our fantasy league, Trey. He quit when Lentz got bad. I bet he wishes he was back in the league now. Uh, I'm sure he does. I mean, but, you know, not only Lentz we're seeing a lot of good good pitching performances, Tarvin. I mean, you had Clayton Kershaw just a couple nights ago who did, people don't realize how phenomenal a pitching performance he was. He didn't walk anybody. And normally, um, you know, an error is not the way that you lose perfect games. That's the way he did. He struck out 15 batters, only 107 pitches, and no hit, uh, you know, got a no-hitter with no walks. I mean, incredible. Only three times in history has something like that been done. And then Clayton Kershaw, oh, by the way, throws eight blank innings the next time out and wins again. So, Pitching is back. So Kershaw threw a perfect game the other night, correct? Well, it was a no-hitter because he was, yeah, he got an uh, error, error, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm going to be honest, Trey, and you know I'm a pitcher's kind of guy. Clayton Kershaw is the, the most dominant pitcher that I've seen since, Randy Johnson in his prime. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, Clayton Kershaw is the man. Well, it's funny. Uh, back when I was, I lived in Dallas for a little bit of time, and my one of my friends who was uh, who had a scholarship to play baseball at Virginia, he was a minor league guy. Uh, he kept telling me about uh, this, this this league he he coached in the summer, and this kid in high school named Clayton Kershaw. 
who is just lights out and for some one of the one of the big schools down in Dallas. And he told me, he's like, man, I'm telling you that this kid is going to be amazing. He's going to get drafted uh, his senior year, and he's going to go off and, and be amazing. And I was like, ah, yeah, and everybody says that about somebody. And I just I always remember that because now every time I watch him pitch, I'm like, man, this he is so – you're right, man. I haven't seen a guy so dominant since Randy Johnson. And, you know, people keep comparing him to players who I didn't grow up with. But in my era, you're right, I mean, there's no more uh, – there's not a left-handed pitcher who has been this dominant since Randy Johnson. I mean, he he is just nasty. And and is he on your fantasy team? <laughs> he 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 happens to be on my fantasy team. Yeah, you have him, Felix Hernandez. I mean, Trey's fantasy pitchers. My God, I mean, it's just unbelievable. But to see him pitch, I mean, it it's so refreshing to see someone so dominant. And you know, steroids I think are down in Major League Baseball, which allows this guy to come in and really show his talent. I mean, this is how you see how good of a pitcher he is. I mean, Clayton Kershaw is as good as they get. I mean, I'd like to have a debate one night, name the top five pitchers that, you know, that you remember growing up and, and even till now. But Clayton Kershaw has got to be up there, you know, when you when you mention best. Could he eventually be the best of all time, Trey? I mean, if he stays healthy, no problems. The kid's young. I mean, could he be the best of all time? You know, it's kind of an interesting debate because baseball players have such a shorter shelf life now. You know, and you have like 30 pitchers this year who had Tommy John surgery, some some sort of incredible statistic. And so, you know, if he can stay healthy, I think he he could be the next 300 game winner. I'll put it that way. And I think that we're going to see in our lifetime, Carbon. I think we'll be lucky to see five 300 game winners if we all live to be 100. Uh, I think that they're going to be that rare because of all the elbow problems and all that kind of stuff that we're seeing nowadays because kids are just pitching so much younger. And so there's so many innings, if you include, you know, the moment, moment you've got a coach pitch. I mean, a guy like Clayton Kershaw is, is throwing at every level. And he's, you know, we've all been on all-star teams. We know a guy like Clayton Kershaw, and, you know, when you're 12, is throwing as many innings as they allow him, you know, per the rule. And so these guys are coming up and throwing so many innings. It's just hard for them when they get to be this age. Uh, it just starts to wear on them. Because, I mean, again, I mean, Clayton Kershaw is a guy the Dodgers are going to run out there as much as they can because I mean, every time he pitches, he's just incredibly lights out. I mean, it's automatically guaranteed to make the playoffs. When you have a pitcher that good that's going to guarantee you. I mean, Dodgers have good offense, very good offense, Trey. It's almost – Every four days, you know you're going to get a win, and that's good to know in, in Major League Baseball, you know. I mean, knowing that you can you can count on that one guy. But I wanted to touch on Clayton Kershaw, too, because people, I don't think they give him enough credit sometimes, but the most dominant pitcher I can remember since Randy. But, Trey, let's move on real quick to the college football world, and Bob Stoops in the media are in the news getting – a raise, pay increase, $5 million. That's going to make him, you know, saving about seven almost. And you have Charlie Strong and Kevin Sumlin. My question to you, is he worth that kind of money? Well, I mean, here's the thing. To Oklahoma, he might be. I mean, Bob Stoops kind of put Oklahoma back on the football map. It's not as if Oklahoma was nobody. I mean, you know, Barry Switzer, I mean, they had, back in the 80s and national champion. So, I mean, Oklahoma is a – you know, historic program, but Bob Stoops came there and sort of reinvigorated everything they wanted to be, you know, national champions again. Um, so I think he was worth it to Oklahoma. 
I do because he means a lot to that program. I mean, is he more valuable than other coaches? I think when you look at you know, coaches as a commodity across all of football, you know, I think there's an argument to be made that he's not um, at this point. But I think he means a lot to Oklahoma and their validity, validity in the college football program, or excuse me, world. And I agree. I agree. I mean, they call him Big Game Bob. You know, he's he's lost some big games. He has won a national championship. But my question to people out there putting Bob Stoops down, who else would you get that could come into Oklahoma and do what he's doing, Trey? I mean, he, he recruits very well. I mean, he, he could do better, but Oklahoma's Oklahoma. It's not like, you know, you can go just recruit Texas as well. But, I mean, he does a great job, and he's consistent. And and I guess I'm going to ask you, Trey, as a college football fan, do you like consistency, or would you would you like to win 10 games every year, or would you like to win a national championship, and then maybe you win five or six games, and then you come back to 10, and then you win another one, and then drop to four? How do you like it? How would you prefer Bob Stoops? He just seems like, to me, he's a very consistent coach. You know what you're getting every time he comes out there. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, being a Florida State fan and growing up in the 80s where we didn't win a lot of titles, but, man, we were top five, excuse me, every year. I just That's what I envision a program to be, an ultimate success. You know, I mean, obviously you want to win every once in a while, but just the realism that you can't win every year. I mean, it's just college football is so hard. I mean, you got so many great programs and so many great programs that just come out of nowhere that I would prefer the consistency and just hope that just being that good over that long a period, you're going to win one. And, you know, Florida State did. Uh, it took them to 93 to finally win one. Uh, but, you know, just having that drought for the last 10 years before this past title, um, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll take the top five finishes every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because, you know, as, as an Auburn man, I went 50-something years straight without a championship, but I wasn't, I'm not that old but in my lifetime. But, there's something about consistency. When you look at a team, you know you're getting 10 wins. And like you said, you just hope maybe you can win the one or two more to get in there and, and get in that playoff. But Bob Stoops, he, he just, he's so comfortable, and he's cocky. I like that about him. He's a very arrogant, cocky coach in a way. I like that. That shows he's competitive. He knows how to win. I mean, look at the quarterbacks he's had, Sam Bradford, Adrian Peterson, the running back, he's coached some great players. And guess who recruited those guys, Trey? <laughs> Adrian Peterson, the best running back probably of all time, one of them was going to be. Bob Stoops got him there. And if you look at his teams, he beat Florida State in the championship, I remember. He did lose to Florida. I believe he lost to LSU. And But you know what, Trey? He's playing for these championships. That's the thing. He's playing for him, Trey, and that, and that means a lot. I mean, even playing last year as an Auburn fan, we lost. It sucked, but at least we made it there. If you're an Oklahoma fan, you've got to see a lot of national championship games and big-time BCS games. Yeah, and I, like I said, I think that's incredible if you look at – I mean, Bob Stoops has won all four BCS bowls. I mean, nobody else has even done that. So, you know, I mean, if I'm a fan of Oklahoma, I'm very happy with him staying in the program and not – you know, leaving for the NFL or not trying to leave for, you know, an SEC job. Uh, you know, he certainly had his opportunities, but, you know, whatever it, whatever Oklahoma is doing, they're keeping him happy. Yeah, and it's because he's keeping them happy. And, and like you said, college football is such a demanding sport, and you have people graduating, you have people uh, 
going to the NFL early, it's just so hard to be dominant every year. And if you look at Oklahoma, I can't remember a time where Oklahoma under Bob Stoops' trade just sucked. I mean, maybe they had a down year. Maybe they had some injuries. I just can't remember. So I, I, I think that means that they've been pretty consistent since the time he's been the coach at Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely spot on, man. There's no doubt about that. They have been relevant since he was the head coach. I mean, every time you think Oklahoma, you think of Stoops right now. Another news trade, Georgia and Notre Dame have agreed to a home-and-home series. Yeah, I know it's two years apart, I believe 2017 and 2019. Is this matchup really proof that this committee, everybody's trying to make sure they're not getting cupcakes? The SEC's only got eight games straight. Is this a, a sign that Georgia's like, okay, we have to schedule somebody uh, that has a name to them just in case? Oh, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more matchups that as fans we want to see because of the committee everybody wants to have. And this is what we're talking about. You know, we're saying that, you know, strength of schedule is going to matter, and it's going to matter huge. It's not going to change. I think it's going to get worse uh, for teams who don't who don't schedule good games. I mean, so the, the fear that, you know, being in a tough conference and playing a tough schedule doesn't matter, I think is his, the – at least the athletic departments are saying that they think otherwise because they're going out and they're scheduling these big-time games, and they're doing it for that exact reason, Tarvin. They want to get into this playoff. Yeah, and I listened to Rod Gilmore yesterday. It was Tuesday. We had our show on Sunday when we talked about the committee and all that good stuff, Trey. And Rod Gilmore, an analyst at ESPN, he said from what he can gather with the committee that strength of schedule – if this is the number one year. They're going to send a message to these teams out there to let them know. They're going to set the standard early. They're going to raise the bar. If you're out there playing cupcakes, you're going to get left out, and they're going to they're going to set an example this year of it. Conference championships are very important in strength of schedule. Those are the two number one things that Rod Gilmore said yesterday, Trey. I mean, year one is the year to make your statement, right? If you have – a, a team that didn't play anybody really, and they're undefeated. You you put a one-loss LSU team in that had a tough game against Wisconsin in their schedule. This is the year to do it, Trey. Set an example now. Yeah, I really agree with that, and I really agree with you on this one because I think that that's why I keep telling, you know, everybody on the show, I think the Big 12 is in a lot of trouble without a championship game and with – they're the ones who aren't right now scheduling a lot of these big out-of-conference games. You're seeing it in the Pac-12. You're seeing it in the SEC. You're seeing it in the ACC. But, you know, right now it's the Big 12 without that championship game and without all these big matchups. Um, you know, you see Oklahoma trying to make some of them, but really nobody else. So uh, I really think that uh, they're going to send a message. And, you know, everybody's predicting Oklahoma to run the table this year. I think it's going to take that in the Big 12 uh, to get any consideration. Well, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Trey just nailed it. We're talking about the the playoff committee. Rod Gilmore for ESPN, if you didn't hear, came out. And from what he can feel with the committee, they're really going to send a message this year about the strength of schedule. And Trey's right. The Big 12 could suffer because of of their lack of schedule in these big games. You're right. I mean, they hit it right on the head there, Trey. Um, You know, because the Big 12, they, they are. They don't. Don't have a conference championship. When it comes to non-conference scheduling, I wouldn't say they exactly <laughs> really tend to go out of the conference too often, if you will. So that could be a conference where, like Trey said, Oklahoma needs to run the table because if they don't run the table, they might not get in. 
and, and looking at the ACC, an ACC team probably can't afford a, one, uh, a loss right now. Uh, you know, a Big Ten team. I mean, it's going to be tough. There's going to be a lot of well, – at the end of the day, you can't have a lot of under-15s, but if there's, couple SC, if there's two one-loss SEC teams, they're probably both going to get in if there's not three undefeated. Yeah, and you look at, like Trey said, the SEC, you have Tennessee going out to Norman this year, Auburn going to Kansas State, Bama playing West Virginia neutral. I don't know how big that is. LSU playing Wisconsin. Florida State's playing Notre Dame. I mean, it's, it just keeps going, and Florida out of conference. And, you know, Miami does the same thing. Clemson's going to play Georgia. They're playing South Carolina, which is a rival. But, Trey, this is the year where if you're the committee, you send that message so if you're looking at Auburn, Trey, this year, they play, to me, they play three cupcakes out of conference in a way, and the one, Kansas State's on the road to a respectable game. Going next year, how much tougher does Auburn need to do it out of conference? Do they need two of those Kansas State games, you think, and two cream puffs, or do you think they just need to balance it out a little bit? I think a lot of it's going to depend on who they play in the East as well each year, and that's hard to predict. But, you know, I mean, if you play a, a really bad East schedule and you're in the West, you know, that's going to matter a little bit as well. But I think that if you play, you know, a UCLA or a USC, uh, that you, probably, you may not need to if you're, if you're Auburn. Yeah, and, and this year, Jonathan Auburn's playing Georgia. They're projected to be up there. South Carolina, there's two top ten teams out of the East, so – if you're Auburn, you, you didn't get a good draw this year, considering you play in the West, you go to Manhattan on a Thursday night, and you play Georgia and South Carolina in the East. If they have one loss this year, I think they're in, Jonathan, just because of that number five strength of schedule they have. Well, yeah, I mean, Auburn with one loss, it should be in. There'll probably be SEC chance they have one loss. I don't think we're going to see an undefeated SEC team um, unless they're a either. truly dominant team. And if you see an undefeated SEC team, Get out the way. <laughs> I mean, move and get out the way. You know, I, I think when you see you know, a, a team like that, you know, and Auburn and Alabama, and we all know, let's just be honest, so much undefeated SEC teams. We're talking about Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Florida, maybe they never seem to be able to go undefeated, uh, Georgia. You know, we're not talking about the Kentuckys and the Vanderbilts and the Ole Miss and Mississippi State. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if Auburn, Auburn was one loss, probably going to win the SEC and should definitely get in. Now, let's say there's some chance that Auburn and Bama both have one loss. Um, I think both of those schools can get in, unless we're talking about an undefeated Oklahoma, an undefeated Florida State, undefeated Stanford, uh, undefeated Ohio State. You know, you would need uh, undefeated teams to knock them out, to knock a one-loss Bama or Auburn out. That, that's just how it's going to roll from here on out. You're going to, you have to award the teams that were able to get through their schedule, the, one of the Power Five conferences. There's no doubt about that. If you can get through it unscathed, you deserve to be there. Um, and luckily, well, Trey, we really don't see like three or four or five undefeated teams. Well, Trey, this is a, you know, you said this about the Big 12, right, about, you know, their schedule and everything. Just say that. Say Alabama's one loss, or say Auburn, they have the tougher schedule, one loss. Ohio State's out of conference, Navy, uh, Virginia Tech, Kent State, Cincinnati. I mean, is that strong enough to you, if they went undefeated, to beat a one-loss SEC champion in Auburn? Well, SEC champion, no. I mean, I guess an SEC champion, I don't see a chance in 
and you know whatever you say to the SEC champion is not in, in this. I mean, I think that will never happen. I mean, at least not in the current scheme of things. Now, Tarvin, uh, a one-loss SEC West runner-up, you know, different story. Yeah, that could be a possibility, Jonathan. Trey made a good mm-hmm. point. One, Bama, Bama lost Auburn the last game of the season, kind of like last year. Do they get mm-hmm. in? I look at Alabama's schedule. I'm not convinced that it's strong enough to get in over an undefeated Big Ten champion, Ohio State, just with the name alone, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think when we're talking about when we're talking about this, I don't think a one-loss Bama is going to get in over an undefeated Ohio State, undefeated Florida State. Uh, you know, undefe- well, let me rephrase that: undefeated Big Ten. Uh, ACC or Big 12 Conference champion, Pac-12. They're not going to get in over and undefeated one of those unless they win the conference. If they don't even make the conference championship game or they lose that game, they're not getting it if they have one loss. That's just how we need to look at it. Undefeated teams are going to be rewarded uh, from a Power 5 conference. Now, let's say there's a couple one-loss teams out there. Bama obviously gets the nod first. That's that's automatically got to happen. Yeah, I mean, I just want it to be, like we talked about the other night, be the, you can't leave teams out because you perceive your conference is stronger and everything. But I just think at the end of the day, you have all these geniuses together with a college pedigree. They're, they're professionals. They'll be able to get mm-hmm. this right, I'm hoping. And um, it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to see. And one thing coming out of, of California and Oakland right now with the NCAA, this old band and stuff going on, Jonathan, um, what surprised me is about 70% of people out there are against players like college football and basketball players getting paid anything. Does that surprise you of the public 70% are against it? I thought it would be a lot lower than that that was opposed to payment of players right now. No, I'm not against it. And the reason that that number is high is because there's a lot of the nation who had to pay back school loans. I mean, that's how we have to look at this. A lot of people out there had to pay back their school loans. They're looking at it going, I can't get a free education because Michael Vick could run faster than me and throw the football 60 yards down the field. He might scrape by with a 2.1 college GPA in basket weaving, but he could throw the ball farther than me, so he, you know, and he brings money into the school. So he gets a free ride. I have a 4.5 GPA. I have $100,000 in loans. I'm going to be a doctor, and I still got to pay back those loans. That's how people are looking at this. They're, you know, and, and that's, that's the, the reality is that there are frustrated people out there. Uh, these players talking about, I'm going to bed hungry. Well, the NCAA gives you a meal plan. You get three free meals a day. If you're going to bed hungry after three free meals, you got a problem, all right? You, you, honestly, come on now, okay? Now the NCAA is like, well, now they have unlimited snacks and unlimited this. Okay, so I don't want to hear about you all being hungry. You don't need to go to McDonald's and get yourself a damn Big Mac, okay? There's a cafeteria right down right on campus. Go there, please. And that's my thing is that we're talking about giving these athletes cash money. We cannot give them cash. Or you need to set them up on, on essentially an, uh, uh, an EBT card and say, here you go. You can only use this at certain places. Because you start giving athletes a check saying, here's your check for the month. Well, shoot, all of a sudden, you know, Johnny Manziel's walking around with a brand-new bottle of Dom. I mean, let's just be real. I mean, seriously. They're college athletes. You're gonna get they're college kids. At the end of the day, you're gonna get the money. They're gonna go spend it on something flash. I mean, we all did in college, okay? We all wanted that, you know. We all bought alcohol, you know, the party and things like that. That's the whole point. That's the reason why a lot of people are against this. 
because we don't want to hand them a check. If the NCAA mm-hmm. came out and said, we'll give it to them on a, a prepaid card that says they can only use it at this place, there's more people being in favor of it. But here's another thing that the NCAA has to look at. You can, we can't really afford to pay these players a whole lot of money because there's a lot of college football players on the scholarship for each team. We're talking about giving them all this money. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. For, I would say, every 25 universities playing D1 football, five of them don't turn a profit. So they can't afford to pay the players. So we're talking the NCAA has to come out of their, pro- their pocket. They made $72 million in 2012. So we're talking you want to give each, every player $1,000. That's $180 million is what, we're, is what they're talking about right now. And, and that's what the bill is. So the NCAA can put 70 of that. The school's got to put the rest of 110. Well, this isn't revenue sharing. This isn't Major League Baseball in the NFL. That's what the problem is. Give these kids 50 bucks a week and say, here you go. Go get your McDonald's. All right, learn to struggle like the rest of us did. This is ridiculous. i got to be honest. And I'm yeah, 20. Trey, uh, Think about this. I'm Trey, 20. I'm going to Yeah, I'm with Jonathan Trey. I, I think you could open up Pandora's box here if you're not careful. And, and I, I, I do agree with what he said about why the public's against it and everything, but you start paying these guys cash money and stuff, Trey. I don't know. When you were in college, I didn't know you really, so I, I didn't know you at all. But I know I've probably been in a poker game somewhere. You give me cash money. I'm sitting at a no-limit uh-huh. hole on the poker table. Trey, how, mm-hmm. how mature are these kids enough to handle some cash like that? We're going to have a big problem on our hands. Well, I don't, I don't know that this issue is about giving them cash. I think the two things that I think are the most problematic for the NCAA coming out of the Ado Bannon trial are one, and you've already seen some schools move to this now, is um, basically the guaranteeing of a four-year scholarship. Uh, so that's number one, which is a lot of schools, you know, all the big names will basically not guarantee your four-year ride. They give you a nice, you know, you sign your letter of intent, they offer you the scholarship. Well, if, oh, by the way, you suck your first year, uh, and you happen to be the worst linebacker on the team, well, you may not have your scholarship the next year, uh, even though they promised you that. And you can't leave the school uh, to go someplace that you might play uh, because they can control you. So I think that's going to change. I think guys are going to have the ability to leave schools, um, and they're also going to have the ability to be basically lock in for four-year agreements. The second thing that I think the NCAA is in trouble in, not based on Mark, not only based on Mark Emmert's testimony, but also the testimony of the Stanford athletic director who basically admitted uh, earlier this week that Stanford actually sells pictures of their football players and actually actually pulled it up on the website and showed that Stanford, and no, they're not the only ones, by the way, actually sells direct memorabilia from these, these, these players, these you know, non-professional uh, players, is you're gonna, I think students are going to have to be able to start making money on their likeness. Uh, they got to start making money on their ability to sign autographs and things like that. So while the schools may not be able to play the, pay the players, and I would totally agree with you and Jonathan on that, by the way, I think that they're going to be able to make money based on their performance. Um, not, maybe not through like you know contracts with Nike, uh, but whether it's you know autographs, whether the school is making money on jersey sales, uh, and they're mm-hmm. certainly going to have four-year agreements where they can actually have uh, non-performance-based scholarships. Yeah, that's a that's some good points right there. One thing I've always thought is, you know, about the the jersey sales and everything. Cam Newton, the year he was at Auburn, I mean, there were so many number two jerseys sold. It wasn't for somebody twenty years ago they were wearing it. They were buying it now for Cam Newton. I think they should get 
the players should get profits from that. And then you have the argument that I love to hear. Well, my, my kid, you know, he's not good enough to get it, so that's not fair. Well, my well, you need to to get your kid better then because it's not it's not Cam Newton's fault or it's not Vince Young's fault that your kid's not as good. And and I I think that's the way you pay them, guys. Is just like Trey said, you give them some money off their performance, how they did, how their jersey sales doing. That's how you do it. And that that actually motivates other players to get up there and get their jersey sold, doesn't it, Jonathan? Of course it does. I mean, you know, Cam Newton's jersey's being sold in the stores, but you're not seeing Michael Dyer's. Well, Michael Dyer's going to work harder so that his jersey gets sold in the store. I mean, that's how it's going to work. I, I 100% agree with that. That's a great way of looking at it. And, you know, my thing is the NCAA has had this system in place for years. All right, we, for years. And, and, you know, we haven't really changed it, right? And that's how it's always been. There's always been boosters. Boosters have always been able to find ways to sneak kids' cash. Let, let's be honest now. They've always been able to find a way. These kids are already getting money. These kids are already making autograph, money off of autographs. Some of them. Not all of them, of course. But some are. I know, I know a couple of guys up in Michigan that work. Okay, and I because I know the guy who was it was giving the money to sign the picture. I agree with Trey. Let the kids sign autographs for cash, and let that be okay. If you sell their jersey in the store, give them a little bit of a kickback. You know things like that. But you can I don't think we can just give a base performance, a base salary out there right now, uh, on top of what the scholarship and some of these kids just aren't performing. I don't think that would be fair to all everybody in general. So I like I like Trey's idea. Let it be performance. Let it be performance based. Yeah, and I like Trey's uh, about the four year scholarships. Instead of using these guys oh, yeah. to get them in, they don't they don't perform. Now they're out of an education. They're out of a job. Really playing football. Protect these guys. Okay, we we took a chance on you. You came to our school. You chose us. You did, you're not working out. We're still going to pay for your education as long as you're making the grades. You're going to class. You're doing everything you're supposed to do as a student. We're going to take care of you. If they did that, that's holding up their end to me. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing is guaranteed in life. But if these kids go out there and trade, they just can't make it. Just say they can't beat out the top two linebackers, but they're going to class. They got a 3.0 GPA or something. They're trying their hardest. You got to keep them. You got to pay them and make sure, or you know, pay their schooling books and make sure they're taken care of. Um, absolutely, and if they are student athletes, then I think that's the big thing. And, and let's let's call out the schools who are doing it well. Northwestern, by the way, uh, has already started doing this. There's about five other schools um, who have started doing this, offering four-year scholarships. I think even uh, my hated rival, Florida, offered. Yeah, Southern Cal has. And I think even Florida offered one. I'm not sure they offered more than one, but we'll give them credit for that one, uh, a four-year scholarship. So. <laughs> Um, you know, I think I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's going to happen whether they want to or not because it's hard to say that they're getting an education when it's performance-based whether they get the education or not. And I think um, that's where the NCAA is, is getting their, their sort of tail handed to them right now in this litigation um, because their argument that these guys, you know, are just student-athletes and then, then they show all these examples of basically they're being exploited and then they're also not student athletes if they don't perform; they're just students. So um, it's just—it's kind of crazy how I think we're going to see some changes, but I don't think we're going to see a, a you know a, a salary cap for schools or anything like that. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, the problem with the NCAA guys, we're about to go here in just a few minutes, but the problem with the NCAA is nobody held these guys accountable. There was nobody making sure they were treating these kids fairly and doing it the right way, and it bled down into the coaches, the programs, and everything. Jonathan, I don't don't know if you know, but Nick Saban's one of the masters of getting these kids here and, and sticking them with that magic gray shirt and telling them thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I mean, I've heard about that, and that's that's always frustrating, um, you know, when a kid's, you know, essentially told that. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I thought the NCAA had already decided to switch to contract, you know, uh, Salisbury became a four-year, essentially a binding contract. I, I can't believe that we keep, they keep delaying that. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous, because scholarships need to be, you're giving a kid a scholarship, he needs to have that four-year security blanket. Uh, that, that's at the end of the day, that needs to be done because that's what he's signing up for. You can't just tell him after, you know, one, you know, after one year, hey, you suck. Bye. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I signed a four-year commitment to y'all. If I go to another school, I gotta sit out another year. So I gotta wait. So I gotta wait. I gotta wait a, a year to play ball again. No, come on. I, that's ridiculous. I mean, it needs to be a four-year scholarship, not year by year. And I can't believe the NCAA bought this up. And this was brought up, I want to say, in like, 08, and we still haven't changed that? That's ridiculous. Yeah, well, staying in college football before we go, Trey, I don't know if you heard Steve Spurrier's comments this week uh, about Nick Saban. It's, it's just something about Spurrier. He's either jealous of Saban or, or he wants to be just like him. I don't know. But Spurrier comes out, and, and he's criticizing Nick Saban, making fun of him, saying, you know, all these number one classes, you only have two SEC championships. Granted, he has three national championships, two SEC championships. What's Spurrier's problem with Saban, Trey? Is it is it jealousy or, or what? Well, I remember Spurrier when he was at Florida, you know, loved to talk about Bobby Bowden. So I think Spurrier just needs someone to to sort of have his nemesis, you know, whether, whether the other person cares about, about him or not. Um, I think the Spurrier needs someone – who's probably a better coach than him to sort of, I guess, egg on. Yeah, Jonathan Spurrier, man. They, but he does bring up some points, and you, you think about Nick Saban, how he's recruited at Alabama. Would you think he would have more than two SEC championships in, in what was it, eight years he's coached there, and most of them have been number one recruiting classes? He has three national championships. Yeah. Uh, that speaks for itself. All right, hey, Steve, how many national championships you got in all your years as a head coach? One in 96, and let's be honest, in 96, where you shouldn't have been playing Florida State for that title. Uh, for that case, you should have played Arizona State if we did uh, the proper BCS system. <laughs> so, here's my thing. Steve, you got one. The man's got three in eight years. You got one since 1980 when you were the head coach, since you, when you started being a head coach at Duke. I'm not saying that he has an inferiority complex, but, man, that man is jealous of anybody who, who is better yeah. than him. He really is. He, 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 he ultimate is. jealous. Bobby gets a ring before Steve, and now Steve, shoot, uh, you know, starts firing across the bow. Miami's got rings, firing across the bow. I, I mean, my goodness. Come on, man. He comes off as a, as a child. Yeah, he even took some shots at, Gene Chizik when when he won his championship and granted that was all he got and all he ever will get 
but but Trey Johnson said it right. He's jealous right now. And just some recruiting news for me, Trey, your thoughts in scout.com recruiting seven SEC teams in the top ten, Alabama one, Texas A&M two, Auburn three. What are your thoughts? It's too early to really talk about it, but, but what does that tell you early on in recruiting? Well, I mean, it tells you that the SEC is still king and, you know, other other conferences aren't there yet. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. And I think one of the more interesting stories that I always like to watch is I like to watch the team that wins the championship two years later uh, because, you know, recruiting it, it doesn't just happen overnight. So, like, Florida State's recruiting class wasn't, this past year, wasn't based on the national championship, but this next one, it, it will be. And so it's kind of interesting to see uh, same thing with Auburn, you know, from 2010 and, and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, you like to see how this goes. But the real the real sort of, I think, story in this is, is how Texas A&M uh, has really moved from a, you know, sort of regional team that's got, that, that does very well in Texas to really not only just dominating the state of Texas, uh, but reaching out into even Louisiana. So uh, in other states, I mean, Texas A&M is the real mover, I think. Um, yeah. And, you know, with number one prospect already, what, in 2016 already signed on, the offensive lineman. I mean, man, the SEC West is getting scary. It is. And, Jonathan, the, the team that surprises me, Trey said it perfect, though, Penn State at number four, they're the only Big Ten team listed up here. James Franklin up at Penn State, is he going to dominate the Big Ten? Is Urban Meyer, does, does he have reason to be worried? I think so. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's early. But let me just state that out in the obvious. Very, very, very early in this whole process. I mean, remember Tennessee was number one for how long uh, last year? in the recruiting rankings. Um, that's just because they have more players than everybody else who committed early. But Penn State is going to be a draw, no matter what. Because if you play defense, you look at the NFL and you go, yeah, I want to go to Penn State. <laughs> I mean, that's always how it's been. Linebacker you. And they've been, you know, they've been producing players throughout the years. And James Franklin knows how to recruit. I mean, we're talking about a man who took Vanderbilt from nothing to something. You know, and now you give him Penn State with the resources, and already the recruiting pipeline that's there, I mean, he's got it made. But what you notice in the in those top ten rankings is the South will dominate. So that's where that's where the best recruits happen to be. It's in Southern states. Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. That's where the best recruits are gonna be. You know, Penn State's up there because between Pennsylvania and Ohio, you can really find a gold mine. They always have. But the South will always be up top in those rankings because of what they can. USC, for some reason, cannot maintain hold of California, and those recruits are hemorrhaging right now. They're spreading out all over. You know, that's one of the things that you got to look at and go, remember when USC used to be on top of those rankings, and now they're having a hard time fighting for a top ten spot. And I kind of wish, and Trey said it about Texas A&M, I kind of wish that it stayed in the Big 12. Now you give them that SEC to be able to, <laughs> to boast about. And, and, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, looking at the West, I'm, Auburn's in negotiations to move to the East anyway with a map. I hope they do because, like Trey said, it's just getting scary. You have Texas A&M, a team that just entered the conference right now, number two in America, keeping pace with Bama. I mean, it's, they're right there with Alabama and Nick Saban, and, and Auburn's doing all they can to, to to stay above water. And then you have LSU, and even Ole Miss is doing some recruiting. I mean, Trey – should I be worried if I'm an Auburn fan that Texas A&M is in Texas in the SEC with someone as their head coach? I mean, that's just yeah, a I think, for disaster. Yeah, I think you should. Texas A&M is, um, 
And if you look at even further out, man, if you look at 17, I mean, I know it's, you, you can kind of get sort of crazy with this, but like the, the top kids, a lot of them, Texas and Florida, man, and if you look at Texas, what they're doing, they are keeping every top recruit, every, every position right now with strong A&M interest. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, it's cow hormones they're injecting with these players to get them to come out there, but they're keeping these guys <laughs> in state and in school uh, if they can stop getting arrested, man, they're going to be dangerous. Well, you look at the line. I mean, Jonathan, name me a team that's put more top in it, top linemen in the draft. I mean, Texas A&M every year has an All-American lineman. I mean, they keep getting them and getting them. Johnny Manziel was great and everything, but there's more to that team than, than Johnny Manziel and what Kevin Sumlin's doing. I mean, they have studs mm-hmm. at every position. Now when the defense starts getting better, that's when you really have to start working. Right, exactly. I mean, that was A&M's weakness last year was that porous defense, and they're getting top defensive recruits right now. So you kind of just sit there, stretch your head, and go, oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, this doesn't look pretty. You know, and we're talking about, I mean, yeah, obviously Missouri needs to move to the SEC West, but, I mean, you really want Auburn, Alabama. Auburn gets flipped to the East. Auburn, Alabama are undefeated going to that final game. Whoever wins got to play the very next week in the SEC championship game. I mean, that's literally – the Big Ten just avoided that whole Michigan-Ohio State thing. I don't think Auburn's going to be able to move to the East without somebody saying, hold up a minute. You mean they're going to play back-to-back weeks now? I don't think so. Well, and I, and I think, guys, if, and I'm not saying this just because I'm an Auburn guy, but when you see Texas A&M and Auburn, the offense is as good as they are. They're getting better and better. When the defenses, and they're starting to now, Auburn's defense is going to be a lot better. A&M's going to be there as well. LSU and Bama, the, the two teams that are used to being up top of the West dominating, are about to take a couple of steps down. I don't care what anybody says. These offenses are unstoppable almost. And when you put a defense with those guys, Trey, uh, I think Auburn and A&M right now for the next few years, are they're, they're the future of the West. I think the road goes through one of those two teams. Yeah, and I'll be honest, man. Last year, you know, I predicted A&M to lose four games, I think. Um so I wasn't surprised when they, when they struggle a little bit. But this year, I'm going to kind of give you a uh, sort of a premonition, is I think A&M, you know, everybody's talking about a freshman quarterback. Uh, they're going to be better than a lot of people are thinking. And I think this is supposed to be a rebuilding year. Remember, Tarvin, the last two years in a row, we've seen a Heisman winner who was a freshman. <laughs> uh, so I'm just telling you that. Your mouth. Nowadays, nowadays, you just got to watch for these kids coming out because, I mean, some of these guys, these gunslingers, Mm-hmm. And programs like with Seth Kevin Sumlin, I wouldn't be surprised if this Allen kid is, is that good. Yeah, so well, Trey, I know you, I'm, hello, uh, Trey. I know you have to go, bud. Thanks for joining us, right quick. I'm going to ask Jonathan one more question, and we're going to go. Take care, bud. And we'll see you Sunday night, uh, Jonathan. Looking at A and M, I don't think they're going to be what Trey. I mean, I think they're going to be around a seven-eight win team again, but next year is when you better hold on tight against Texas A&M because I looked at the early spreads looking down through Auburn's a 14-point favorite over A&M in Auburn, and, and I know that sounds high, but when you have two offenses like that that can put up points in the defenses, it's all who's got the better defense. But after this year, I think A&M will be the favorite next year to win the SEC. Agree or disagree? Oh, Lordy Lord. I'm going to disagree because Nick Saban's still at Alabama. 
Gus Malzahn is still at Auburn, and Les Miles is still at LSU. I don't I got to see someone time. without Manziel. I do. I have to see him without Manziel to know what he is. Because, you know, just like I need someone, we never saw him without Keenum at Houston. So you don't really know how good of a coach he was at Houston without Case Keenum. That's true. That's true. But, I mean, but, but it looks like it's going to be the SEC's loading up so much that mm-hmm. it's going to be almost impossible to make it out of there undefeated. Even sometimes you could have the best team in the conference, Jonathan, with two losses. And uh, I mean, I don't know. It's just looking. It's getting so deep, and it's getting so talent. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's just going to be hard to win that conference and come out undefeated. Like you said, if you do win that and go undefeated, you better watch out because somebody's about to get drubbed. But um, oh yeah, we're going to get out. We're going to get out of here tonight, Jonathan. We're going to be back Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern New Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. We will be with MTR Radio at that time. We couldn't get the equipment in this time to to get it done tonight. So didn't want to go live without being able to have everything. But anything you want to touch on before we go? Yeah, um, I'm excited for the NBA draft tomorrow. Kind of interested to see how it's going to shape out. And really, really stoked for agency now that Dallas has already made that trade with the Knicks today, acquiring Chandler and Fulton. Carmelo's visiting the Bulls, uh, the Mavericks, and the Rockets. So I'm interested to see where... Where he goes from there, hopefully the Bulls, because that's where he fits best. I don't want to see a disaster in Houston. Um, I mean, NBA offseason is really shaping up to be fun with LeBron opting out. It has really shaped up something. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, 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 Jonathan, we talked about this earlier, but where do you think LeBron's going to end up? Trace says he's going to be in Miami. I'm saying it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up in Cleveland. So where are you going to say? Wow. Um, let's let, you know what? I'm going to be a little different than y'all. I'm going to say that in a sign-and-trade, LeBron's going to wind up in the Clippers. Blake Griffin is going to go home out. He's going to wind up in Miami. Wow. I've never heard, I haven't heard that one yet. So LeBron came out with his list today, and it didn't include the Clippers. So you're saying the trade's what's going to get him to L.A.? Well, I mean, Chris Paul is the best man at his wedding. He was the best man at Paul's wedding. Or groomsmen, whatever it was. They were groomsmen at each other's yep. wedding. LeBron has interest in LA, let's be honest, media market, market you know, all that good stuff. I could see it. I really could. And as much as the Clippers are saying, We don't want Blake and we don't want to lose Blake, come on now. LeBron James <laughs> is better than Blake Griffin. You sit Chris Paul, LeBron and DeAndre Jordan together, you might have one of the best defensive trios in the NBA. That that's just a fact. You could be right. I think the Donald Sterling cloud still over there could impact LeBron not coming. And I don't know how good Paul and LeBron would be together. I just don't know if they, their styles match with each other would mesh. That would be an interesting thought, though, or an interesting time to see it. But does LeBron have the stones to go out west and play in a conference where every night is a game? I mean, you're going to be tested mm-hmm. almost every game you play. Will he do that, or will he going to stand the East and, and just almost guarantee him a final every year? Well, LeBron's a pantheist, so he's probably going to stay in the East. That's why I said Cleveland. He's going to run back home and act <laughs> like a hero, win a couple of rings, and but I wouldn't go back to Cleveland the way that the GM treated me and the owner what they were tweeting and talking about. I'd be like, sorry, I'm never going to let you be good again because I'm going to be against you every year. 
and make sure you don't win anything. But, but Jonathan, let's come back Sunday night. Let's talk about this draft. Maybe we can do something tomorrow night while the draft's going on. Maybe we can put something together and, and do a live mm-hmm. show, talk about the draft. What do you think? Oh, man, that would be good for me. All right, well, cool. Well, with Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, we'll be live on possibly tomorrow night as well to cover some of this draft. I'm ready to see where LeBron's going to go. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Sonny Clark, the Couch Potato, thanks for joining us. Trey, as well. We will see you Sunday. Riding through this world All alone Gotta take your soul You're on your own